Our scripture readings this morning come from both the book of Genesis and the book of 1 Corinthians. So listen for the word of our Lord. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad the west to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And then from the book of 1 Corinthians. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which you also stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I, turn, what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, and then to all of the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. By your grace and through your favor, we pray that you would allow these words to point to the word just read, and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To begin our time today, I have a warning. And the warning is that this sermon may not be very relevant to you if you come from a perfect family. If you come from a family that has no fighting, that everything is figured out, there is no conflict, no brokenness, then you may as well just pull out your phone right now, check your email, check Facebook, because this sermon has nothing to do with you. But if there's a small chance that you don't come from a perfect family, that your family tree is not entirely peaceful, then the next few minutes might be of some interest to you. You know, it's not that we don't work very hard to project as perfect of a family image as possible. You know, Facebook is filled with 99% happy family pictures. I've yet to see a picture posted on any of my, uh, any of my friends' Facebook families, Facebook uh, pages, of their families screaming and yelling at each other, or couples contemplating divorce, or parents grounding their 16-year-old son. You know, that doesn't 
usually come into our social media networks. I have a friend who laughs at his Facebook post because based on the things that his wife posts, it seems that he is living an exceedingly extravagant lifestyle on a very middle-class salary. And so it's almost tempting to idolize even the external appearances of families that are close to us. And we wonder why it is that they seem to have it better than we do. But that isn't really the case, is it? Every family tree has weak limbs in it, some severed roots, some disease in the middle. You know, it's like the old tree that used to sit on the front lawn of this church. I got a comment even last week at the street fair, why did you have to cut it down? Well, the truth is it wasn't as healthy as it appeared. And as limbs began falling near the bus stop, we only realized in cutting it down how hollow it was inside. And a falling limb could have harmed a child playing in the shade. You know, appearances can be deceiving. Appearances in trees, appearances in family trees. My family probably, much like many of your families, have taken time over the past number of years to look up our family trees. You know, there's nothing like looking at your family tree to find out how dysfunctional your family really is, is it? And we say that, of course, to be funny, but there is truth in it. Every family has some element of dysfunction in it, except for those of you who are now looking at your phones and checking out your Facebook pages. You know, one doesn't have to dive very deep into our family trees to find things like divorce and mental illness, addiction, a cousin who swindled money from people. We post happy family pictures on Facebook, but what is absent are the family members who refuse to be present in that picture because of a disagreement. And even now, you may be even thinking about your own family tree, a cast of characters that even Hollywood couldn't reproduce. You know, we all have saints and sinners, scoundrels and heroes in our family trees. Yours and mine have all sorts of leaves with all sorts of colors in it. The biblical family is quite colorful as well. You know, last week we talked about the call of Moses, who certainly had a tough story, which included murder and being on the lamb. And in that story, God is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the name of God's family, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, let me tell you something. This is not the family that's going to make the cover of the best-selling Christian book that's at your stores these days. What I love about the Bible is that this is not a clean faith. It is not a sanitized book. When God opens up his Facebook page, not only do we find pictures of God's family, but many of those pictures are not very pretty. Think about these three great men of faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To save his own skin, Abraham passes off his wife Sarah as his sister twice and encourages Sarah to be with Pharaoh first and then King Abimelech. Can you imagine the dinner conversation the next day? And it's only in God intervening that Sarah is not defiled. You know, I remember being with a hospice patient a number of years ago when the hospice patient was afraid that God was not going to accept him. And I said to him, just name some people from the Bible. And he named Abraham. And I told him about Abraham's character. And his response to me, man, I've been bad, but I haven't been that bad. And then we get to Abraham's kids. 
Isaac plots with his mom to rob Abraham's oldest son of his family blessing. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau, who sever their relationship for a time. And Jacob plays favorites among his sons, and what follows is an attempted fratricide. And you know what? These men, this family is supposed to be embodying the promise of God, the story of God. In Hebrews chapter 11, they are considered the greatest examples of faith. But the family's got enough dysfunction in it to be a case study for a person getting a PhD in psychology. And so in the midst of all this generational up and down, all this joy and sorrow, all the sinners and saints, our story this morning finds the scoundrel Jacob who is at the moment on the lamb. He's running from his brother who hates him. We find him out in the wilderness, no roof above his head, a stone for a pillow. He's sleeping under the stars and he has a dream. He dreams of a ladder. A ladder that stretches from earth to heaven. A ladder that stretches from his own soul to heaven. His own place in life. And this ladder is connecting the heavens to the earth and ascending and descending on this ladder are the angels of God. And God says in a dream, know that I am with you, Jacob. And know that I will be with you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land And I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This is an amazing word from God. An amazing word because what God is saying is that when it comes to the movement of God's gracious story, when it comes to the advance of God's gracious promise, when it comes to the company of angels, even the sinners and the scoundrels play a part. Even the sinners and scoundrels that are in your world, your family tree, your relationships. Even the sinner and scoundrel inside of you and inside of me. Because when we talk about the grace of God, we are tempted to think about the grace of God, that God forgives us of our sin and frees us from it. But we often stop too short by stopping just there. Because it's really just the tip of the iceberg. When it comes to the grace of God, we need to see the grace of God as a movement, as a power, as an advancement through history that works its way through and around and beyond every single person, saint and sinner alike. Let me say it again. When it comes to the grace of God, we need to see the grace of God as a movement, as a power, as an advancement through history that works its way through and around and beyond every single person, saint and sinner alike. Like it or not, we are who we are because of the family tree on which we hang. Sometimes it's in the grace given and sometimes it's with the grace received. And the grace of God is operative through every human being that steps into and out of our lives. And sometimes it's very difficult to see. Sometimes our prayer is to be rid of such people. Sometimes we want to be shaken from the family tree. But the truth is that God is at work through all the colors of the tree, and not just even in our families, but every single person that steps into our lives. You know, Lord knows if God's grace can work through me, well, then God's grace can work through anybody.
We just need to look for ways to extend that grace. When the Apostle Paul took the time to consider his part in the unfolding advance of God's grace, in the beginnings of the church, I got to believe that Paul just kind of laughed. If there was anyone who should have been disqualified from playing a role in the advancement of God's grace, it was Paul. He says it in Corinthians, that Christ died for our sins and appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters. Then he appeared to James and the other apostles, and then finally to Paul. And then he says of himself, I am the least of these. I shouldn't even be called an apostle. Paul persecuted the church of God. He persecuted the followers of Jesus, but he says, by the grace of God, I am who I am. And God's grace toward me has not been in vain. Have you ever thought about yourself in those terms? Who am I to receive God's grace? That maybe I am the least likely of all people to be the recipient of God's grace. It's hard to imagine that as crazy as your family might be, as screwy as some people might be in your life, as tragic as events may have unfolded for you, that somehow the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob still has this ladder and pours the grace of angels into our midst to make us something, to make what seems so very wrong to something so very redeemable. I am who I am, Paul says. And I pray that God's grace toward me has not been in vain. You know, God uses each one of our broken, cracked clay shells, our broken family trees, as vessels still of Jesus' grace. This is Stephen Ministry Sunday. It's what Stephen ministers do, isn't it? I remember a few years ago when we were beginning a new class of Stephen ministers, someone came to me after church and told me that they were interested in becoming a Stephen minister. But they didn't know whether or not they should have because they were divorced and they had issues with children and illness in the family. And I told this person that God would work through that. Because God uses our cracked clay shells to be messengers of God's grace. Another of my hospice patients was a 40-year-old man dying of AIDS. And every time that I visited, his partner was present, and over time I got to know him and his struggles and his concerns, how the laws at that time precluded him from receiving survivor benefits of the man that he loved. And somewhere in the midst of it, I learned something. That sometimes people walk into your life who are there to teach you something. Sometimes angels come that don't look like angels. Sometimes they're sick. And sometimes they're caregivers. But God places these angels into your life so you can give and receive God's grace. And we become who we are by virtue of them. And so we pray that God's grace toward us has not been in vain. We are all imperfect creations of God. We all have imperfect creations of God in our lives and in ourselves. Sometimes it's in our families and sometimes it's outside of our families. 
but we are all imperfect members of the family of faith. And even so, when we come into contact with those who are imperfect, each person that you come into contact with is one who has been placed into your life to either be a means of grace or to receive God's grace. So Jacob, the scoundrel, dreams of angels. As bad of Annapolis he may have been, he was still in the company of angels and maybe eventually an angel himself. Saul, the persecutor, becomes Paul, the zealous follower of Jesus, that the great I am pours grace through. That was a promise. It's always been a promise. God never made a nobody person. And by God's grace, well, we are who we are. May God's grace toward us and through us never be in vain. Amen.